Hello everyone and welcome to the Scientia podcast. We are a group of international researchers from the Scientia Fellow Program via EU Marie Slodowska Curie Actions. We are based in Oslo, Norway, and today in the studio it's me, Filipa, and Sergio joining uh, on his computer from the Netherlands. Hi Sergio. Hi everyone. <laughs> it's um, very happy to be here with you today. And uh, today we have a guest. Um, it's uh, Victor Greif. Uh, he's uh, an associate professor for systems immunology at the Department of Immunology, University of Oslo. Welcome, Victor. Hello, everyone. Very nice to be here today. Thank you for being here. Uh, would you like to, to tell us a little bit um, about your, your work? and uh, your lab. So uh, you are an associate professor, so you have your, your own lab. Um, what kind of research and the field that you do? Yes, so very happy to do that. Um, I moved to Oslo in 2018. Uh, so I've been here now for four years at the university. And my lab is very interested in uh, predicting the adaptive immune response. So basically, um, what we are trying to do is when um, when you get infected, we are trying to predict how your body responds to that infection using um, experimental and computational approaches. And especially we are using machine learning for that, which is now a very much up and coming field. And uh, machine learning is very important in the study of the immune system due to the complexity of the immune system. Hmm. Okay. Nice. So you mentioned like you moved to Oslo four years ago. What is your favorite thing about being in Oslo, Norway so far? That's a very good question. So um, I'm originally from Germany, um, which is also not a very um, climate-wise warm country. So I like the climate here a lot. I like that um, the um, summers are long and I also like that the winters are long. So I like both a lot, but I don't ski a lot. So I'm not <laughs> there yet. Yeah. Well, uh, Sergio and I, although we are from the south of Europe, Portugal and Spain, respectively, we do share the, um, the, <laughs> the taste for this weather with you. Uh, it's too, it gets too hot as well. So we can relate. And uh, yes, um, we, we share the same. <laughs> Did you notice like a very huge difference from working from, for example, from Germany to Norway? Are there like huge difference in the working environment between the two countries? I would say uh, one of the biggest differences between um, Germany and also Switzerland, where I did my postdoc, is um, in Norway there is more, uh, there is much more of a work life balance, I would say. So uh, people really finish on time here in the afternoon and then go about their hobbies and their family business. I also see that many more uh, PhD students and postdocs have a family also, which is um, uh, was very surprising to me uh, to see. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that, that I think is one of the biggest difference. In the, and um, I would also say that uh, Norwegians tend to be more polite than um, Germans, <laughs> I would say. Yeah. <laughs> so you are happy with the move and uh, you're happy with um, how your work and uh, the balance between uh, life and, and, and work is, is happening. Yeah, very much. Very happy with the move. The work environment is great and um, my science is progressing, so that's good. 
Yeah. 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 Uh, so what is uh, kind of, uh, since a little bit on that topic about like your, your, your vision to your, to your lab, uh, in that sense, uh, do you have, so um, I guess first the question is, you are an established PI and you've been a PhD student and a postdoc like us. Uh, do you miss it? What do you miss most of those different positions? And what for you would be uh, like the ideal uh, position if you could take all of the good parts of each? That's a very good question. So I think um, there is a huge switch happening between being a PhD student or postdoc and becoming a PI, which really no one prepares you for, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and this, because when you're a PhD student or also a postdoc, then you're mostly focused on your science. You're maybe supervising one or two other students, but you're not taking care of um, finances. You're not mm -hmm. taking you're not giving too many talks, you're not taking care of um, more people, you're not hiring people. So all of this is changing when you um, get to the PI stage. So then you have to be so many things at once. You have to be a scientist, um, you know, a financial manager, mm -hmm. people's manager. Um, a mentor. A mentor even. also, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So many things then um, like coalesce into one position and that I think is very difficult. What um, goes a bit to the background is the actual doing of science, mm -hmm. which um, I miss sometimes. So I just, now I just tell people to do something and then they either do it or mm -hmm. they don't. <laughs> But um, it's a bit being like on the sidelines of the science. So I just yes. watch from the outside and it's more like a mentor or advisory role and not being inside again. Yeah which also I think requires a lot of trust um, from oneself because, of course, ideally one only trusts the things that one has done oneself, mm -hmm. but now one gives the trust to someone else to um, trust what they are doing. So that's also a big step, I think, from being a more of a control freak to giving, <laughs> to, to giving yeah. other people the control. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. Mm. Um, we are not into your position, but uh, we do. We are aware of that, and we have commented about that. So thanks for sharing mm. that. How big is your lab right now, Victor? Do you have many PT students under your supervision? Yeah, so I have a few postdocs and um, a few PhD students also. So uh, three or four postdocs and three or four PhD um, students, yeah. I don't know the exact number because I'm also co-supervising uh, many students. So, uh, yeah, so it's a medium lab, mm. I would and, say. And your lab size. is quite international. Yes, so yeah. um, in my lab, people come from many different backgrounds. Uh, yeah, um, mm. yeah. Southeast Asia, Germany, um, France. Um, yeah, many yes. different backgrounds. That's super nice to have yeah. like a very international environment in your own group. Yeah, mm. and yeah. Um, yeah. Sorry, said you. Uh, no, I, I guess you can. You can really see like the the mix of different backgrounds and cultures, and I think that really helps. Also for the science and also, but really for, for having like a really positive environment at work. So that's, that's really great. Yeah, I think it, this is really important in science that when people come from different backgrounds, it's not, um, it also changes the way they think and that really impacts mm -hmm. how they perform science also. And I think that's a really important, yeah. Yeah. Mm. 
Yeah, I so so uh, just a, a little bit of background information. Uh, Victoria and I are in the same department, and uh, from my two years there, the idea that I have is that your lab and you yourself with within your lab, you have this, and, and you try to keep up this this spirit of more of partnership uh, among each other. Uh, and I know that you try to do uh, group and team activities and that people actually participate. And I, I, I think that's very healthy, particularly as we've said here, you have a very international lab and very different cultures. And sometimes it can be hard for people to integrate or, or to feel that they are not isolated. Um, is so and, and I and I know that you promote this a lot. So do you do you do it because you think it's uh, just important or do you also thought about this uh, difference of cultures and, and you put a little bit more effort into creating a, a kind of a team spirit because of that uh, than if you, for instance, had um, a lot more homogeneous in terms of cultures? Yeah, that's also a very good question. Um, so I think team activities are important and we try to um, do these also. This has become a bit difficult over the last two years due to obvious reasons, um, but we're now trying to get back to that also. Um, still, a few of my people are working from home or from their home country, so getting really this team spirit back takes a lot of effort now again. Mm -hmm. So I think that's, and I think many labs are um, dealing with that right now, how to go back to this yes. normal way of doing science that we're all in the lab and that we, um, you know, eat at the cafeteria together, for example, eat our lunch together or something like that, where we can talk about many other things than science. So I think, yeah. um, and, but this, this team spirit not only comes from, um, doing outside work but also working together on papers for example which mm. I also promote a lot mm -hmm. so not only you know one author per paper but always like a, a subgroup of my group working on the same paper so that they can can talk to one another and cross-check each other yeah I must say that really helps also like in my case in, a, in our group we also we are usually like two or three working together in the same manuscript and we communicate daily by Slack. And but we also work in different countries. So I think I can really relate to what you were saying, Victor. Like it's difficult to have like a like a team spirit, but working on the same project together, I think that really helps. So that's a really nice strategy, I must say. Should we go back to the science a little bit, uh, Philippa? All right. Yes. So <laughs> I think uh, Victor's lab is, is basically can be divided into three areas. One is basically artificial intelligence, and that's basically how they use artificial intelligence to understand the human uh, immune repertoire. The other is like they are also using single cell sequencing, and they also use bioinformatics basically to try to uh, integrate, for example, genomics and proteomics data all together. Um, so one of the questions was, um, in all the three topics, you see the human Im immune repertoire. Can you tell us about what is the human immune repertoire? Yes. So um, the human immune repertoire or the immune repertoire in general is the ensemble of antibodies and T-cell receptors or 
T, yeah, T cell receptors. Um, so probably you have heard of antibodies and T cells over the last two years mm -hmm. a lot for the COVID vaccines. Um, so these are um, these molecules that build up our immune. Um, so these are one of the molecules that build our main defense against any infection or disease that we are encountering over our lifetime. And um, the interesting thing about antibodies and T cell receptors is that there are so many different ones in our bodies at any one time. So each of us has about 10 to the 10 different ones at any one time and all of us don't share them. So, so, so all of us have our own uh, immune fingerprint, if you will. And um, this immune fingerprint really determines of how we react to um, novel threats that our um, immune system encounters. And it's also the basis of vaccination. So this immune repertoire gets trained over time with vaccinations or infections or diseases and really changes over time also. And to understand these changes and predicting these changes um, is one of the main purposes of of our lab and it's of course of main importance if you want to diagnose um, any diseases or if you want to also develop new therapeutics. So for example antibodies and now recently also T-cells have become a huge uh, market for um, treating autoimmune disease, cancer and recently also infection in the case of COVID. Yeah. Very nice to hear. This is why you're using artificial intelligence. So looking trying to, for example, to predict a particular disease based on the profile of patients. Exactly. So due to the complexity of these immune receptor sequences, so you, so we have about uh, 10 to the 10, as I said, at any one time. And we need to understand how these 10 to the 10 um, then relate to a given immune status. So for example, type 1 diabetes, celiac disease and covid And only a small part of this repertoire really is specific to, let's say, type 1 diabetes. And trying to find this needle in the haystack is why we need machine learning for or artificial intelligence. Very nice. Very nice, Victor. Do you have like a particular application that you are working right now that you are very proud about it? Yeah, so... Um, we have recently found... So uh, one of the main... Um, Uh, difficulties in this field is to predict antibody antigen binding. Uh, so, and an antigen is any virus or bacterium. And the main problem in the field is that we cannot predict um, uh, um, for a given antibody what its targets are. Uh, so this is a main problem in the field. If we could predict this, we would be able to predict uh, in the computer and, and to design in the computer antibodies and also vaccines, for example. And we have recently found that there are common motifs among all antibodies that um, uh, predict uh, binding behavior and that we just published last year. And um, we have really gotten good feedback from the community about that. Yeah. Thank you, uh, Victor. That was really nice to hear about your work. Um, just to wrap up a little bit this uh, discussion about your work, is there anything uh, you would like to share, obviously, that you have in mind? So when you opened your lab and you started your, your research work, uh, I'm assuming it wasn't very far away from what you really wanted to do or had intended. Uh, however, is there still anything 
um, that you would like to uh, research or, or, or even specifically accomplish with this uh, work that your lab is developing, uh, that you have this uh, dream goal that let's hope it's 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 an objective and you do accomplish. Um, that is like your your baby project uh, that you have this emotional attachment to. Um, yeah, that's also a very good question. And I think this also relates a bit um, to a common problem in science that um, sometimes you have to do the research to get funding. Mm -hmm. and um, But then it goes a bit to the background what you really want to do. Mm -hmm. um, so of course, what we're doing right now is still what I really want to do, but something that where we are maybe progressing a bit over the next um, or going towards in the next 10 years is trying to understand how the immune system has evolved over time. So mm -hmm. why do we have this complex um, system that really protects us against almost any threat? How has this evolved? And can we exploit this um, the mechanisms of the system um, Uh, that has that have evolved over this long time also for new therapeutics and to better understand and predict um, immunity very interesting a million dollar question yeah uh, we really do hope that you do make progress on that um, that's that's not just important for science but also for the comprehension of everything that uh, surrounds us um, said Hugh Do you have anything else you'd like to ask Victor? Since uh, sadly we are reaching uh, the end of our episode and time flies by. Um, I don't know. I if don't you... think so. I, I'm very happy with the chat that we that we got, and I think I learned a lot about yeah. the human immune repertoire and how you use artificial intelligence. Basically, trying to make sense of the huge dimensionality problems that you have. I, I guess sometimes. So. Um, Very happy. Yeah, we should definitely uh, invite you and we hope that you would accept in the future to come over again and uh, discuss other topics. Thanks yeah. so much. It was very Thank nice to be here. Thank you very much for being here, Victor. We really appreciated it. Um, and uh, Sergio and I say goodbye to everybody. Thanks everyone for listening. And um, until next time. Bye. 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 Bye.